Good morning, Gospel Fellowship. My name is Dre, and I do get the privilege to bring the Word of God before you this morning. I just want to thank Pastor Rodney for this opportunity. I want to thank our elders and deacons and all of our church leadership. And I want to thank my wife and family for supporting me during this time. And I thank you all for tuning in this morning to hear the Word of God. Man, big shout out to the fathers. Happy Father's Day to you. Today is our day. And what we do in the home is very imperative for our, our children. So I want to encourage us to uh, continue to lead them in the way of the Lord and continue to find ways to sacrifice for them so that they can continue to see that godly example. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and get in the word. You can find me in Philippians chapter three. and We're going to touch over the first 11 verses. So if you have your Bibles or your devices, join me here in Philippians chapter three. And it reads, in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is no trouble for me. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who move to take the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the one who worship by God, by the spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else think he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that the law is in, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dumb so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection among the dead. The title of our topic this morning is There is Joy in Knowing Christ. I'm going to have three points. Point number one, rejoicing during affliction. Point number two, the resume. And point number three, loss for gain. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you this morning for the opportunity to come together under your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word satisfies. We thank you that your word fulfills. And we thank you that your word transforms. I just pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross, Lord, and speak in and through me the words that you want us all to hear this morning. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to open up our hearts, our minds and our souls to receive your word so that we can apply it in our everyday lives. And Lord God, we thank you and we love you this morning. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. I wanted to share an experience with you all that I had when I was transitioning to the IT field. I was a part of a program that uh, trained me and allowed me to, gave me everything that I needed in order to become a certified technician. It was an intense six week program where I would drive to Fort Lauderdale and go to class. And from there, I would drive to Wellington and go and work nights at Office Depot where I was a manager. Now I knew it was gonna be a, a, a troubling season for me or a challenging season for me, and which is why I prayed to the Lord each and every day to be my strength because I knew I would need his strength in order to make it through that time. And though I experienced the joy of the Lord throughout that process, uh, there was one particular day that was a bit overwhelming for me. 
uh, I, I was leaving class and I was heading to work and I decided that I was going to stop by McDonald's to uh, get a bite to eat because I was hungry and it was cheap. I get to McDonald's and I order my food and then I pull out my wallet to pay for my food to only come to find out that there was no funds on my car. I was done. I couldn't hold it in, so when I got to work, I went to the back and I cried out to the Lord in tears and I asked him to be with me and I'm going to need your strength because I have a long shift to work today and on top of that, I'm hungry. I called my wife and, and I, I let her know what happened and she began to cry as well because she hated that I had to experience something like that. So being the loving wife that she is, she brought food to my job so that I can eat. And when I was trying to go back to the back to eat the food and inhale it, I kept getting called up to the front to uh, help assist the customers. And that day was, was really busy that day, so I was going from customer to customer. And as I'm um, assisting the customers, I begin to realize that, man, I'm not giving them attitude. I'm generously trying to, trying to serve them. And that usually don't happen when I'm hungry. And I also begin to realize that, man, I have a lot of energy as if I just ate a whole meal. I didn't even get a chance to eat the food that my wife brought me until I got home that night. God kept me that whole day. You see, he showed me that it wasn't a full belly that I needed in order to sustain me. It was his joy that I need in order to sustain me through that tough time. So that leads me to point number one, rejoicing during affliction. Paul starts off by reminding the church of Philippi to rejoice in the Lord or have union or have joy in their union with God because he will always be with them in the midst of affliction. The book of Philippians and throughout the book of Philippians, Paul put a great emphasis on rejoicing in the Lord. When we look at uh, chapter one, verse 18, Paul says that he will rejoice because the gospel is being proclaimed even while he's in prison. When we move to chapter two, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is still in prison. and He does not know if he's going to be killed there for the sake of him proclaiming the gospel. But he is rejoicing because he knows that to die for him is gain. And he has confidence in that, which is why he encourages the church of Philippi to rejoice with him. He also expresses his joy in chapter two with the examples of Timothy and Ephrodite, where Timothy genuinely cared for the Philippian church and proven himself to be sold out for the gospel. And Ephrodite, who nearly died for the sake of the gospel, while also tending to Paul's needs. Now we find ourselves here in chapter three. Paul uses the word here in addition here to inform the church of Philippi that we have different matters to discuss. It's time that you rejoice in the Lord. And I, I want to make it clear that this, Paul, this isn't Paul telling the church of Philippi to put a positive spin on a negative emotion. In fact, it's not passive at all. It's, it's not based on good health. It's not based on material things. It's not based on uh, their accomplishment. This joy is a spiritual relationship with God. It, it's an imperative. It's, it's a command. And it's something that Paul wants them to do in the midst of a trial. Question on the table. Are we following that command to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of our trials? See, truth be told, all of us are facing a trial right now, and that's the uncertainties of this pandemic that we have been facing for some time. And oh, has this pandemic stirred up some mess, right? Most of us are facing another trial with the effects of the injustice that's happening today, as if this pandemic isn't enough trial to go through as it is. But on top of that, we still have to live our everyday lives. Some of us are angry, afraid, anxious, concerned, tired, hurting, 
stressed, broken, emotional, jobless, and feeling flat out hopeless. But remember for the believer, you still are called to be a light in the midst of this darkness. For the parents, you still have diapers to change and, and kids to feed. For the husband and wife, you still have to love and respect each other. For the worker, you still have to wake up every morning to go to work and clock in every day. For the jobless, you still have to fill out your application and submit your resume to the employers. For the homeowners and renters, you, you still have to cook and clean your dishes and, and, and cut your grass and throw out your trash. And for those seeking justice, you still have to be the change that you want to see in the world. In the midst of all that, how do we rejoice? Here's how we praise, we sing, but most importantly, we name the good things about God. Yeah, I think we need to hear that again. Most importantly, we name the good things about God. This is what Paul is getting at because he knows that it is what we believe what we believers need in order to help us persevere, to remind us to remind ourselves of who God is and whose we are. Yeah, I think someone needed to hear that this morning to remind ourselves of who God is and whose we are. You belong to the almighty God. So even in affliction, you're safe. I love what David Chapman says uh, in this quote. He says, joy is a choice. It is a commitment to rejoice in our relationship to Christ and our identity in him. You see, when we are going through these afflictions like COVID-19 and injustice and all these emotions and concerns and uncertainties begin to rise up within us, we are reminded that we are loved, accepted, freed, forgiven, and that we are of value when we rejoice in our Lord. This is why Paul has no trouble in repeating to the Philippian church to rejoice in the Lord. Paul understands joy in the Lord to be inherently safe because he agrees with Nehemiah 8.10 that states this truth. It says the joy of the Lord is your strength. So joy in or from the Lord is inherently strengthening. Therefore, rejoicing in the Lord will serve as a safeguard throughout all of life. Are you safe or are you in danger? Paul wants us to rejoice, but he also wants us to be aware that not everyone is, is on our team and is a fan of joy. In fact, Paul would argue that if we're not rejoicing in, in if we're not rejoicing in the Lord during our affliction, then we're not safe. We're in danger because we will not be able to discern what to do when danger arrives. Well, what does that danger look like in danger of what? Paul warns them and says, Watch in verse number two, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who militate the flesh. You see, there is an enemy out there and we need the joy of the Lord so that we can discern the truth when he starts throwing those lies at us. Paul is re referring to the Judaizers and this goes all the way back to Acts, Acts, uh, the book of Acts when Paul was fighting them off then. The Judaizers were a group of Jewish Christians who believed that circumcision was necessary for salvation. And their, their focus was to impose that uh, belief on the Gentile converts. They had not made their way to the Philippian church at that time, but Paul wanted them to be aware that there are false teachers out there who wants to stir them away from the truth and steal their joy, which is why our joy should be in the Lord and not based on other foundations. Now, let's break these three words down that Paul described the Judaizers. He first starts off by calling them dogs. And this is not referring to the beautiful pet that you have in your home right now. Now, he's referring to a wild animal uh, that is miserable and without value. Scavengers. In fact, the Jews would refer to the Gentiles as uh, dogs because they were outcasts when it came to the Jewish belief. 
So Paul is now reversing that term back to the Jews to describe these false teachers as dirty scavengers. Listen, they would literally follow Paul uh, wherever he went, barking their false teachings with every intention to steal the converts and the churches. They were not preaching grace. They were preaching works. The Judaizers taught that sinners were saved by faith plus works. They were saying that the Gentile, Christ, the Gentile Christians, that you have to obey the Jewish law and be circumcised before you can become a real Christian. They believed to add an external act to God's grace was good work. But Paul is saying that it is evil because they are turning people away from God. This is why Paul calls them evil workers. Uh, when we add works to grace, you minimize the finished work that Jesus has already put in for your salvation. And beloved, salvation is a gift. And a gift is, is not something that you work for. It's generously given. And Jesus did that for us. The word mutilator in the text means those who cause injury. The Judaizers were very proud of the ceremony of cutting of the skin to be circumcised because it was a sign of their covenant with God. But Paul is saying the Jews are causing injury to the true faith. It's like cutting it into pieces. Let me put it in today's time. We may see this with the prosperity gospel that promise you that God is your butler and don't mention sin nor suffering. Or the ultra conservative Christian who only speaks about the gospel. There was no work to their tied to their belief. There was only theology with no practicality. All we get with this is pieces of the truth that's been cut up by lies. Now, let's look at it a different way. If we take those three words that Paul uses to describe the Judaizers and put them in one, we have Satan. And Satan's goal is to still kill and destroy, which makes him the number one false teacher who seeks to use whomever or whatever he can to remove the true faith from us. This can be people in our inner circle, our upbringing, life experiences, what we allow in our ears, uh, what we believe in our mind. And that's one of the tactics that the enemy like to use is he like to replay lies in our head until that becomes our truth. And then so when the truth of God uh, come before us, we begin to mute it because the only truth that we believe at this point is those lies that's been playing in our head. And that's dangerous because we become our own false teacher. So he can also use uh, social media. He can use our careers, our accomplishments, our passions, and the list just goes on. But we have to be aware that the enemy is the enemy and he wants to steal our joy and feed us lies, especially when we are facing affliction. But Paul explains what the, what, uh, the truth is and what we should lean on when these attack comes our way here in verse three, he says, for we are the circumcision, the one who worship by the spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Paul says, number one, we are the circumcision because we worship by the Holy Spirit with a humble heart. The Holy Spirit gives us power to offer sincere worship to God. John 4, 24 says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We lean on our authentic relationship with Jesus, not our religious acts or accomplishment. Number two, he says we, we rejoice in Christ because of what Christ has already done for us. We're not leaning on what we can offer to God. And we have to constantly remember that church. Number three, we do not put uh, trust in our own efforts because we know that there's nothing that we can do to add our salvation. We are too broken to be a stable foundation for ourselves. Far too many of us put confidence in our flesh and believe that we are working our way to heaven. But, but let me remind you of Ephesians 2, 8 that says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's a gift, 
not from works, so that no one can boast. Beloved, grace is everything. God said to Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that my grace is enough, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, grace plus anything equals nothing. What is your plus anything? What efforts do you add to earn your salvation? In fact, do you say that Christ's righteousness isn't enough for you? Truth be told, in the end, these things will not sustain us during an affliction. We need the joy of the Lord that surpasses all understanding. During these times, we are trying to understand why we are facing these things and cannot get all the answers because we need the joy that is greater than fully understanding the full picture that we are facing these times and that pushes us to be used by God to share his love and his grace to our neighbors, our families, our friends, co-workers, and, and even our enemies. It's not a coincidence that we heard from Pastor Charlie last week encouraging us not to give up. The enemy wants to wear us out so that our focus is on our circumstances and that so that we miss out on the joy of the Lord that we need in order to gain our strength. And the strength that we gain from the joy of the Lord is not to change our circumstances, but fuel us to endure through our, our affliction by reminding us of who God is and who we are. Have you ever been there before? Uh, a situation has seemed to consume you, but when you begin to rejoice in the Lord, you, you begin to see that the situation no longer has power over you, but you now have power over the situation. You see, God's, we serve a God who is willing to apply joy that we cannot comprehend in the midst of our affliction. Beloved, that's love. That's grace. And it's all for you. Point number two, the resume. Uh, many, of, many of us have resumes. It's, it's what we need to boast on our accomplishments and achievements to impress the employer and prove why we are qualified to make the big bucks within their company. It, it gives us a reason to put confidence in our flesh. Have you ever viewed a position online and you submitted your resume with confidence and you're like, there's no other person in the world that put in as much work that I just explained on my resume for this position. And as soon as you click send, you're like, oh, yeah, I got the job. They'd be insane not to hire me. Do you see the degrees that I have? Do you see all the experience I have gained? Then you go and tell your spouse or your friends to get their approval. So that helps boost uh, your, your confidence up within yourself. You see, we do this to get on top, to gain what we want. But if we're not careful, our resume becomes our identity. Paul says here in verse four, although I have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else think he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's saying, check my resume. Google me. Circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. He's like, boom, drop the mic. And, and I bet you Paul is like, nah, you'll be a fool not to take heed to this wisdom that I'm about to give you. Oftentimes when people rap about their accomplishments, we tune them out because nobody really trying to hear how they came up when we personally trying to come up ourselves. But I encourage you to stay tuned to what Paul has to say for us. But first off, let's let's look at the significance of his accomplishment, because um, we need we need to go deeper. Paul can't just hit us with a, with a list of uh, his rap list because we wasn't shooting with, with him in the gym. So what does it mean to be circumcised on the eighth day? We find this in Genesis, 12, in Genesis 17, 12. For the generations to come, every male among you who was eight days old must be circumcised. This shows us that his parents was followed the law precisely. OK, what does it mean to be the nation of Israel? 
He belonged to Israel by birth. God gave that name to Jacob back in Genesis 32, 28. And Paul was a Jew, so he had a special relationship with God. What does it mean to be of the tribe of Benjamin? He came from the tribe of Benjamin through King Saul's lineage in 1 Samuel 9, verses 1 and 2. What does it mean to be born, uh, to be Hebrew, born of Hebrews? Paul was born in Tarsus, where they speak Greek. But Paul had gone to Jerusalem in order to learn Hebrew, which is the Jewish original language from Gamel, a famous Jewish teacher in Acts 22, 3. What does it mean when he says, according to the law of Pharisee? Paul chose to be a Pharisee like his parents in Acts 23, 6, who carried out the most strict demands of the Jewish faith. He mentioned his zeal. Paul was so devoted to the Jewish custom that he persecuted the Christians because they was not following the demands of the law. And he says blameless regarding his righteousness in the law. The Greek word for without blame is a word that really means not to leave out duty. There was no demands of the law that Paul had failed to obey. He followed it to a T. So, so what do we hear Paul saying? He's saying, I came from the right perfect family of royalty. I have the right DNA of the chosen people. I'm highly educated amongst my peers. I was trained by both the written and oral law by the best of the best. When it comes to putting in the work to achieving my goals, no one can compare with me. Now show me somebody who is more qualified and has more experience than me. See, Paul believed that his work righteousness was partnering with the grace of God. He was so into himself and so passionate about following the demands of the Jewish law that he did not see his sin. Can anyone relate to that this morning? He, he had it all wrong. But a transition began to happen in Paul when God met him on the road of Damascus when Paul, as Paul was on his way to persecute more Christians. Paul experienced true grace with his first encounter in God. In, in Acts 9, God called him by name twice and asked him, why are you persecuting me? God got personal with him. God didn't ask him, why are you persecuting my people? He asked him, why are you persecuting me? God wanted Paul to focus on him because Paul was so consumed by his own work righteousness that he did not see God. He was lost in his sin, but God stops him and says, hey, this is me, and you're persecuting me, the church. Now, God did not uh, condemn Paul, nor did he shut him down, but he graciously exposed his heart. Can God graciously expose our hearts this morning? Uh, what are those things on your resume that you need to replace with grace? And, and don't think of your resume as that piece of paper that you need to submit in order to get a job. Think of it as something that brings you value and worth. And I want to let this sit for a minute so that we can pinpoint what we value as more important than our relationship with God. You see, we have to be careful on how much we pay attention to what's going on outwardly because we will miss the sin that is going on inwardly. After God questioned Paul in Acts 9, God blinded him for three days and Paul did not eat nor drink. And I believe during those three days, Paul began to embrace the grace of God and began to look at all his sins and saw that God's grace was more valuable. He had time to look within and reevaluate his passions. Didn't this pandemic allow us that same opportunity to slow down and look within and reevaluate uh, where we seek our joy? It is in a crisis where the Lord wants us to experience real grace and real joy that is only found in being in a relationship with him. Look what happens in the next uh, verses in 17 and 18. He gains his eyesight back and he becomes a Christian. 
And I want to take some time for you, whoever you are that is watching this live video, and you're like, I want that joy that Paul is talking about. There's good news. You can have it. Uh, just allow the Lord to blind you from the things that you believe to be true outside of him. Then allow him to open your eyes to the real truth that's only found in him. And that truth is John 3:16 that says this, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes will not perish, but have eternal life. That truth is also Romans 10:9 that says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Repent to the Lord, understanding that you are in desperate need of a savior and you don't have it all together. But Jesus, who died for you, does. Become a Christian and you will have an experience, unspeakable joy that is found in your relationship with Jesus that will sustain you throughout life. If that was you today, man, praise God for you. I would encourage you to send a private message to our Facebook page. We want to we want to know you and we want to get you connected with other believers that will walk alongside you during this process. Amen. Growing up, my dream was to be a professional football player. Uh, I began playing the game at the age of seven. I, I didn't have a, a football player that I wanted to be like, but I did want to be somebody's favorite player. I'm learning the game at seven and, and by eight, I'm, um, I'm beginning to understand the game and applying what I learned to my, with my skill sets. So by nine, I'm playing running back and I'm scoring touchdowns and my name's in the paper. So at this point, I'm, I'm really feeling myself. In middle school, I had to hit the ground running because I'm playing with bigger and faster people. So my competitive nature began to become stronger. By the time I made it to eighth grade, I, I, I switched, I transitioned to playing wide receiver and I was that real deal receiver amongst my peers. Same uh, transition in high school. By the time I became a senior, I was a leading receiver in my county and I, and I couldn't be touched. Side note, we went 0-9, but that's neither here or there. There was still a collegiate uh, career promising for me. My mindset was once that ball was in the air, I don't care where it is. It's my ball and I'm going to go up and get it. I get the phone call from Florida Atlantic University who invited me on an official visit and offered me a full scholarship. So I was like, check, I'm getting closer to my goal. Now all I have to do is perform well here in college so that I can become that professional football player. I sat out my first year and halfway through my red shirt freshman year, I became a starter. So that gave me confidence that I'm well on my way. My sophomore year, I was leading, I was the leading receiver and my junior year was supposed to be my takeoff season in 2012. We had a change in our coaching staff and I had a receiver coach who brought in disciplines that, that, that really impacted my uh, personal personal one-on-one game. And, and in fact, he saw that my potential was so great that he said to me, I'm gonna push you off the cliff and watch you fly. But instead he pushed me off the cliff and I fell. I dislocated my, eight, my ankle, my left ankle, and my entire junior season, I missed. That was supposed to be my takeoff year. I still had hope, though, because I had one more year left to accomplish my goal. But then God met me in my recklessness in the summer of 2013, my senior year of playing football. And there he exposed my heart. He showed me that it was all about me. Truthfully speaking, I was only praying to God to make me a professional football player. He was my genie in the bottle. Then he led me to gospel fellowship and, and allowed me to experience true grace. I began to dissect my goals and realized that truthfully, yeah, they were only benefiting me. By the time my senior year was becoming to an end, I had developed a relationship with God and lost interest 
and becoming a professional football player. I, I counted the cost and realized that staying here and serving in the church and deepening my relationship with God was more valuable than me to becoming a professional football player. God would, not, God would have not been in the picture. My head would have been so big because I quote unquote made it. I wouldn't have been a godly example for my children and I wouldn't have married my lovely, lovely wife. It would have truly been all about me. But I had to apply grace to my resume and know that my, my relationship with God was more valuable. And this is what Paul has to say about his resume here in the last couple of verses, which leads me to my last point, loss for gain. He says here in verse seven, but everything that was gained for me, I have considered other translations uses count to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them dumb so that that I may gain Christ. Here, Paul is well versed in the Jewish religion and according to Galatians 1 verses 13 and 14, his career as a uh, religious Jewish leader was well promising. But he realized that he was spiritually bankrupt. Therefore, he counted all as a loss to, to count something is to be intentional. You're not counting for no reason. When you count your money, you want to know you have enough to support yourself throughout the end of the month. So you count carefully. Sometimes we count more than once just to be sure. Paul has intentionally one by one looked at all his religious accomplishments, which led to spiritual bankruptcy and measured them to having a relationship with God, which leads to spiritual richness and said they don't they don't add up. It's a loss. And the Greek word for loss is a mayor. It means damage or a bad deal. An unsuccessful business transaction, which results in a fine or penalty. Paul says it's a loss because in the end, I will be penalized. If I want to be spiritually rich by having the perfect God live in and through me, then I must not put my accomplishments above God's grace for my salvation. Truly taking that route, there is no true salvation for me at all. If there is no true salvation for me, then I'm only left with damnation. I'd rather have an authentic relationship with Christ where my true salvation lies. This is what Paul is talking about when he speaks about the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. If we pay attention to his language, he has been using our Lord throughout the book. But here at this moment, it's personal to Paul. He says, my Lord here in verse eight, he, he knew he knew his word. But at this point, he want to know him relationally. Is that you this morning? You see, when we begin to um, when we, the, a change begin to happen within us whenever we value our relationship with Christ over all things. We begin to see everything through the lenses of God. And so when we see things as Christ does, what we believe to be of great value does not outweigh our relationship with God. Now, let me make this clear. The things Paul believed to be, uh, uh, to be of value were not bad in and of themselves, except for persecuting the Christians, of course. But using them as a grounds for his status before God was useless. Paul understood that God gave it all so that he could receive it all and that Jesus finished it all. There's, there was nothing left to do but accept a valuable relationship with him. Now, let me put that in our context. There's nothing wrong with accomplishments and achievements. But when we but when our self-righteousness is above our relationship with God, it's sin. Jesus died for our sins so that we can repent of them, meaning turning away from them in replacement with the relationship with Jesus. This is where we find Paul again. He had an amazing reputation and a bright future being honored in the Jewish community. He was the up and coming 
young Pharisee, but compared to knowing Jesus, all of his accomplishments was mere garbage, he would say. And here is why. When he was living under the law and uh, he would, all he had was a set of rules. But now he has a friend, a master, a constant companion. Th this is what he gains. And I love that Paul uses the word gain here because he's not necessarily taking an L. He's actually gaining a win. To be set free and forgiven from our sins and accepted into a right relationship with God is a win. If we're honest, when we're working to accomplish anything, we're not fully happy. We're exhausted. Trying to please people during the process and, and trying to hold a certain standard, standard is tiresome. Yeah, we get congratulated, but at the end of the day, we're getting hated on by others. And the minute we drop the ball or a challenge come our way, we're no longer happy or fulfilled. If anything, we're getting more tired because now we got to try to find our way back up to the top. With Jesus, we are already at the top because of what he has done for us. What is better than being in a relationship with a person who wanted all for you already? Think of it like this. You have a loved one. It can be a friend or a family member. Step in your place and die for you. And you wish you can still be in relationship with them, but you can't. With Jesus, he died in our place. And we can still have a relationship with the one who wanted all for us because he is still alive. Beloved, that's a win. And let's be honest, brothers and sisters, we all are Paul and we need that surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. So what is it that you need to evaluate for the sake of an authentic relationship with God? Maybe it's you keeping yourself too busy in ministry, whether that's in a community group, a discipleship group, youth ministry, worship ministry, mission trips, outreach program, and even preaching the word of God. Those are not bad things, but if you uh, believe that your accomplishments in those things play a role in your salvation, then you have it all wrong. Christianity is Christ. Salvation is knowing him in a personal way. Don't be too busy in ministry and forget about your relationship with God. Or maybe you're saying, I believe that I'm saved by faith alone. Praise God for that. But let me ask you this. Where do you spend most of your time? Is it in your business? Is it with school? Is it with the kids? Maybe it's on social media or the video game. And, and yeah, I'm talking to myself also. Or maybe it's, it's your hobbies or with your spouse, your career goals, your personal goals. Oh, I know what it is. It's that bank account. Huh? Or maybe it's in your head fumbling with thoughts or in your feelings struggling with your emotions. Whatever that is, here's the question you need to ask. Is it more important than a relationship with Jesus? Better yet, have your relationship with Jesus become secondary to those things because you believe that those things will fully satisfy you more than a relationship with Jesus? Here's some good news for you wherever you are with this. It's not too late to repent and ask God to help you make him your number one. He desires you and he wants you. Paul talks about his gains starting about starting here in verses nine. And it's not only his gains, it's our gains as well. And he says this and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Paul is saying nothing I do would declare me righteous. It doesn't matter how much Bible I know, where I come from. How obedient I am, just, just to name a few. And I know I'm saying Paul, but remember, this applies to us also. Paul understands that God's love, love for him will not change. His righteousness comes from his union with God uh, and his faith that Jesus finished the work on the cross for him. This rightness, this, this right standing with God is given to him, to the Philippians, and therefore to us, by God, period. 
This is why Paul puts a big emphasis on re rejoicing in the Lord, because it is there where we regain our true victories throughout life. He continues to gain to explain his gains here in the last two verses, 10 verses, 10 and 11, saying, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Number one, we gain the power of the risen Christ. Paul wanted to live with the power of the risen Christ in his life. What he's saying here is that I experienced power of sin and flesh. It left me with nothing but self-righteousness. And after looking within and facing my self-righteousness, he realized that his self-righteousness was an interference with his relationship with God. Paul no longer wanted that. Much like Paul, we shouldn't want no part of any, any interference with our relationship with God either. He says, I want the resurrection power of Jesus living within me to help me defeat myself daily. See, Paul now understands that the, that the power doesn't come from him. The power comes from the resurrected Jesus who defeated self-righteousness and all of sin once and for all. The key for us to die to ourselves is to allow the power of the resurrection to live within us. When we die to our flesh, Jesus resurrects within us by the Spirit and, and very much alive so that we can gain his victories every day of our lives and in every circumstance of our lives. Number two, we gain fellowship in our suffering. Paul knew that it was a privilege to suffer with Christ. Paul says in chapter one, verse 29, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also suffer for him. Paul has suffered from the enemies of Christ a great deal. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul mentioned about 21 things that he suffered for the sake of the gospel. But it was an honor to him because he knew he was sharing in Christ's works. As we go in our knowledge of Christ and our experience in his power, we come under attack that I mentioned in the first point. But Christ does not allow us to suffer alone. Instead, Jesus Christ invites us to get to know him better in our suffering so that we can get to understand him better in the process. It is in our sufferings that we get to create intimacy with Jesus because he understands and he cares. Don't miss that. God understands and cares when we suffer for him. And lastly, by sharing in his death, he explains what this looked like in Galatians 2, verses 20. I mean, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. He died to self, and so we must die to our desires. Galatians 5, 24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. This is the key to receiving the joy of the Lord when we need in order to discern the truth during our afflictions. When we die to ourselves and pick up our cross and follow the Lord daily, we are, we are in a posture to rejoice. We, we, we must know that there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. And that when Jesus rose from the grave, he defeated sin and the power of sin over our lives. And our response is to believe in him that we may receive the free gift of salvation that was fully paid on our behalf by the blood of Jesus. Walking through tough times with the Lord results in resurrection from the dead. It looks like this. When we experience in his resurrection power in our lives, we joyously overcome every challenge, trial and tribulations until we get to have eternal peace and joy with him in heaven. 
In closing, this joy that, co that comes from knowing Christ reminds us of who God is and whose we are. It's something that we can lean on to persevere during afflictions. It reminds us that God gave us the opportunity to look within and receive grace as we realized that we had it all wrong. And that God picked us up and carried us through and that if he did it then, he would keep doing it again. And lastly, it allows us to see that our, our, spiritual bank, our spiritual bankruptcy does not measure up to the spiritual richness that comes for our relationship with Jesus. Beloved, there is real joy in our relationship with Christ. He's waiting for you with open arms. So run to him this morning. Amen.